Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So last week we launched into a new sermon series called Water, and it's kind of the way we do things around here. We'll take kind of a broad topic and we'll break it down into steps, or we'll, we'll take a theme and we'll kind of track with it for a while, and that's what we're doing this summer. We're talking about water, and when it's this crazy hot, I mean, who was doing work outside yesterday? I mean, you survived, you know, you didn't pass out because of the heat. Who doesn't want a cool, refreshing drink of water right now? And so we're taking the month of July, and we're looking at these stories from Scripture that have to do with water and we're kind of asking, what can we learn from them? And what, what speaks from them, from our scriptures that were written about 2,000 years ago? What speaks to us now? And what's God trying to teach us today? And so as we're going, I want to invite you to do something. You can pull out your phone. And if you have the YouVersion Bible app installed on it, just go to the Events tab and search for Grand Valley. And you can follow along with our conversation through that. Usually we do this thing where there's some questions that I'm going to ask, and there's a bit of a survey you can jump into and respond, and we're going to do things a little differently today, so those questions aren't in there, but you can still follow along, and you can take some notes if you want. But today we're looking, we're going to spend our whole time in the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the New Testament. There's four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all four of them were written either by an eyewitness who walked with Jesus or they were compiled from the other eyewitnesses. So, for example, like the Gospel of Mark is really the story of Jesus told by Peter to Mark. Peter wasn't a very good writer, and so Mark was, and Mark went along, and Mark wrote down what Peter had to say about Jesus. But John, where we're going to spend today, John is one of the disciples. John's one of the guys who was with Jesus from the very beginning through his whole ministry. And we're going to spend our time looking at a couple interactions that John recorded, and we're going to kind of focus on them. And so we're going to pick up early on in John's gospel. We're going to start in John 4, where Jesus is in Jerusalem, which is kind of near the southern part of Israel. And he's heading north up to Galilee, where his hometown is. But I got to tell you a little bit about the geography of this place, because Judea, where Jerusalem is in the south, and Galilee up to the north, in between them is this area called Samaria. Now, Samaria has an interesting history and kind of some complicated relationships with the people who are living in Judea. You see, if we go back about a thousand years before Jesus, all of Israel was one nation, and then it split in half, and the northern half kept the name Israel, and the southern half took the name Judea, and they were separate kingdoms with separate kings. And what happened was about 300 years after they split, so this is now we're looking at 722 BC, there was this foreign nation called the Assyrians. And if you were here last week and we were talking about Jonah, Jonah was sent to the capital city of Assyria somewhat before this happened. And so in 722, Assyria comes in and they conquer Israel. They conquer the northern half. Now, when Assyria conquered a nation, they had this program of forced resettlement. And so if you lived in there and you were conquered and you had skills that they liked, they would take you. So if you were a skilled carpenter, if you were skilled with livestock, maybe you were a good farmer, they would take you and move you to somewhere where it would benefit them. And so they would transport a lot of people to their own territory. And then the other thing they would do is other nations they conquered, they would force people from other areas to move into your neighborhood. 
And they did this on purpose because if they scrambled all the neighborhoods and scrambled all the towns, the people wouldn't be able to band together to form a rebellion against Assyria. It was this tactic of how they would keep a conquered nation conquered by jumbling up all the people and sending them all over in random places. And so because of this, when Israel fell and this, all these people from other nations got sent in, what happened was the, the remaining faithful Jews got all mixed in with other nations. And so what happened is over time, they created their own version of the scriptures and they created their own version of, of who God was that wasn't accurate anymore. They had kind of changed and, and kind of perverted everything. And so because of that, the southern kingdom that remained before Judea, they didn't like the Samaritans because the Samaritans were changing everything about who God is and they were changing their scripture. And it was so bad to the point where if someone from Judea, even and now we're talking this is 700 years after Israel fell, a person from Judea that had to go up to Galilee would choose to go east and go around the Jordan River all the way around Samaria so they wouldn't have to go through. That's how much they despised Samaria. And so Jesus is in Judea, and he needs to go to the north, to Galilee, where he's from. And so what does Jesus choose to do? Jesus chooses to go straight through Samaria. He takes the untypical route, and he goes straight through. And there's a reason why. Because Jesus always goes to the people who are despised and ignored. Jesus goes straight through Samaria. He puts himself into a place where he has to encounter these people that his own people group don't like. He puts himself in that situation. And so they're traveling. It reaches about midday. And Jesus comes to this town. And there's a well just outside the town. And Jesus stops at the well to take a rest. And he sends his disciples off into the town to go and buy food for them. And so Jesus is just sitting, waiting at this well. And what happens is this is about noon on a, on a hot day in an arid country. A woman comes up to the well with her water jug to get water. Now, she's coming in the heat of the day, but she comes with this water jug. And as she comes to the well, Jesus asks her for a drink of water. Now, this woman is surprised. In fact, this is what John writes in John 4, verse 9. He says, the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? You know, she doesn't refuse his request for a favor to have a drink of water. But she says, what's going on here? As she was walking up, she would have been expected to be ignored or scoffed at or scorned by this Jewish man sitting by the well. But instead, Jesus asks her for something. Now, Jesus usually does this thing where when someone asks a question, he kind of responds with a different question or he, he responds with something a little deeper and more important. And so he does this again. He doesn't directly answer her question. But this is what he says. Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So Jesus kind of skirts her question about why, but he takes her to something deeper. He says, I've got something better for you. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. And, and the direct translation of living water would be like a spring of water. Not uh, the water that collects in a cistern or a well. And this well, the archaeologists have found it, and they've said this well at the time when Jesus was there was about 100 feet deep. This is a deep well to get water. Like they had to really dig down. And so Jesus says, 
If you would ask me, I would give you living water. Now here's why. Because Jesus knows he has something better for her. See, Jesus always has something better for us than what our current experience is. Jesus wants something better for every person he encounters and even every one of us today. See, the woman then is intrigued. What's this living water, this fresh spring water that would certainly taste better than the water that's collected in a well in an arid country? And the woman says to him, but sir, you don't have a rope or bucket. She said, and this well is very deep, about 100 feet deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, who, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How could you offer better water than what he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? See, and this is some of her Samaritan identity coming out, where they really held to Jacob as being a core central figure. And it is true that back in Old Testament days, it was Jacob and his descendants that dug this very well that Jesus is standing at. And so she's saying, how can you have something better than what our ancestors gave to us? See, Jesus, in his response to her before, he's being this kind of little cryptic. He's not laying everything out, but what he's doing is he's keeping her engaged in a conversation. He's keeping her engaged in this talk about water and living water, and and she's stuck with saying, well, you don't have a rope, you don't have a bucket. Besides, this is the only well in the area. Like, if this well ran dry... That whole area, that town, everyone's going to pack up and move to find water from a different place. So what is this living water that Jesus is talking about? And it makes me ask this question, how often do we miss out on what God has for us because we're too busy looking for something else? This woman is saying, well, where's your rope? Where's your bucket? Where's your well? Where's this spring you're talking about? And she misses out on what Jesus is actually trying to talk about. Now, what happens is that Jesus goes on and he describes to her what this living water is. He says, anyone who drinks this water, referring to the well he's sitting next to, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And we start getting the sense that, okay, maybe Jesus is talking about something else. Maybe there is something deeper he's pushing to in this. And in fact, the woman keeps asking about this and he goes on and he keeps talking to her and and we're going to jump ahead to another story right away. But this woman eventually believes that Jesus is the Messiah. She realizes what Jesus has for her. And in fact, she goes back to the town and gets everyone and they come and they talk with Jesus and they ask Jesus and his group of disciples, all Jewish men, to stay in their town in the middle of Samaria for two more days and they stay and they teach and they talk with them and they they spend time telling them more about what this living water is that Jesus is talking about. But we're going to skip ahead to about a year forward from this when Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And even though he goes to Jerusalem knowing that there's already this group within the religious leaders of the day that are trying to have Jesus killed. They want him gone because they don't understand and they don't like what Jesus is teaching. But Jesus goes to this giant festival, this giant celebration that's happening in Jerusalem when it's swelled with people that have traveled in for this. And on the last day of this festival, at the climax of this festival, in John 7, verse 37, John tells us this, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. 
See, I like this phrase that Jesus uses. He talks about anyone who is thirsty. Because thirst means we're longing for something. You know, and we know this, if you were outside trying to do yard work or whatever else yesterday, you know, you know that sensation of thirst. You know, it's kind of your mouth feels dry. It's a little hard to swallow. You know, if you don't get water for a little while, you start getting a bit of, you know, a headache and you, you can't really think straight. And if you get really dehydrated, you get to the point where your body wants to, you know, throw up and you, your, your body actually starts shutting down if we don't have enough water. See, Jesus is talking about this term thirst for a reason because he's talking about what we could long for. What are we thirsty for? Because when we're thirsty for water, our bodies are trying to tell us something through that dry mouth and through the headache, all that. Our bodies are saying, you need to get water. You need to nourish ourselves. But Jesus gets up at the festival and he says, anyone can come to me. And so I want to ask this question. What are you thirsty for? What are you longing for? What are you thirsty for? See, if when we're longing for something, this is the other thing that, that thirst implies, is it means that something isn't quite right. There's something that we need or we want, and it's just out of reach. And we, and we long for it. We have that need. And see, what Jesus is getting at, he says, anyone who's thirsty, come to me. Jesus is saying, I'm what you're thirsty for. In fact, he goes on. This is the next line. He says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures say, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And he's talking about uh, a, a compilation of Old Testament promises about Jesus, promises about the Messiah. And again, this rivers of living water, this stream bubbling up is what he's talking about. Now there's this statement Jesus is making in this. He's saying this, if you're thirsty, Jesus is waiting for you. Anyone who's thirsty can come and drink. All you have to do is come to Jesus. See, when Jesus stands up at the festival, he makes this offer to everyone. It's not just an offer he made before to one woman at a well. This is an offer to anyone. Anyone who's thirsty may come and drink. Now, John, who's writing all this down after the fact so that the church has, these, uh, has all this information about Jesus and has the scriptures, he kind of knows that Jesus always talks in these metaphors and parables. He talks in ways that, that sometimes make us scratch our heads. And there's a reason why Jesus did that. He wanted us to have to lean in. He wanted us to have to work a little bit to try and understand and figure it out because if it was just laid out in front of us and we didn't have to put in any effort, it wouldn't impact us the same way when we recognize what Jesus is talking about. But John knows this, and so he actually adds an editorial note. He adds a chunk in brackets to explain what Jesus is talking about just in case you know we're not catching it. And this is what John writes in to explain. He says, when Jesus said, living water, he's speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone who belongs in him. But the Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, had not been given yet because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. And that last phrase, not yet entered into his glory, is just John's way of saying that what Jesus came to do, he hadn't fulfilled yet at this time. But John is revealing this. He gives us this shortcut so that we recognize that when Jesus is talking about living waters, when he's talking about a thirst 
that we can have satisfied, what he's talking about is that the Holy Spirit is available to us. God's own Spirit is for us. See, the reason for that is that every one of us has something that we're thirsty and something that we're longing for. And that thirst that's often deep inside of us is, is kind of referred to sometimes as like a soul thirst. It's something that our soul, that our own spirit longs for and cries out for. And this is the thirst that Jesus is talking about addressing. See, the living water is the Holy Spirit being sent to dwell in us. This is this promise that Jesus is making multiple times through the Gospel of John and through the other Gospels too. See, one of the problems that we have is that sometimes we get consumed by trying to satisfy our thirst with something else. Maybe it's something like significance, where we feel, you know, if I'm just significant, if I'm important, if I'm liked, if I'm popular, if I may be respected, or maybe sometimes it's even if people fear me, if I have power, that thirst, whatever we long for, will be gone. Or maybe sometimes we're consumed, we have this thirst, we need to have the right image so that we look a certain way so that that people will respect or admire us. Maybe sometimes we try to satisfy that thirst through possessions, through money, through wealth, through a faster, shinier car or whatever it might be. Sometimes we try to calm down that thirst by chasing an adrenaline high, chasing a wild experience or or some sort of adventure to maybe say, maybe that thirst, maybe it won't be there after this. You know, or sometimes we try to fill that longing with something like alcohol or drugs or images on a screen or anything that would make us numb and push that thirst away because we don't want to deal with it. You know, or maybe sometimes we try to numb that thirst by by holding on to a hurt, by holding on to pain from something that happened in our past. And we make this subconscious deal with our pain of saying, I'd rather feel that pain from whatever that event was I'd rather feel that pain and let it hide the longing that I have for something more and something deeper. Because at least the pain, I know what that feels like. At least the pain, I know how I can hold on to that and how it can cover the thirst and the longing we have. But at that festival, when Jesus shouted out to the crowds, he was saying that he is the only one who satisfies the deepest thirsts that we have. See, there's a reason for this. When Jesus shouted out that he can fulfill all our longings, it's because we were created to have a longing for God. We were created to have a longing to be in a relationship with Jesus. We were created to have the Holy Spirit living within us. That's what we were meant to be. See, when Jesus shouted this out at the festival, he angered the religious leaders of the day. He angered the people who thought they had it all figured out. He angered the people who were in power because they were holding on to their path to God and they were using it to profit off of other people and they were using it to control people. And Jesus says, no, I'm not trying to profit off you. I'm not trying to control you. I'm here to satisfy what you are longing for. Because you were made to long for me. To all those things that we use to try to silence our longing for God, this is what God says time and time again through Scripture. I made you 
And I am what fulfills that longing. All we have to do is come. All we have to do is to come to Jesus. To recognize, like that woman at the well, to recognize like the crowds that Jesus spoke to, that what we hunger and thirst and long for is Jesus. We long for him. And so, why don't we step forward? Why do we sometimes try to hold back? You know, sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's unknown. We don't know what it would feel like if we actually choose to uncover that longing and say, what's it going to feel like if we try to fulfill this with what God meant to fulfill us? What's it going to be like if we actually take this step? See, Jesus, on his last night he had with his disciples, we're going to skip ahead a little bit here. On the last evening that Jesus had with his, his 12 disciples, his closest group of friends that he had spent three years traveling and ministering with, these, these guys were the first eyewitnesses to everything Jesus did. And Jesus is still trying to teach them more. And they don't realize that this is the last chance they're going to have with Jesus. But Jesus knows. And so this is what he tells them. John 14, starting at verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him, and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him. You will know the Holy Spirit because he lives with you now and later will be in you. He goes on. He says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. See, his disciples don't realize that later on that evening, Jesus is going to be arrested. And the next day, the religious leaders are going to think that they had their victory when they killed Jesus. But they don't know that they just played into God's hands. Because God's whole plan from the very beginning was that his son would come and give up his own life for us. That he would give up his own life so that we can step into this fulfillment that our longings, our deepest desires can be fulfilled. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm not going to abandon you. Because he's been hinting to his disciples that this is going to happen and they think he's just going to leave and they don't get it. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to send something better after me. In fact, another time he says, it's better for you that I go because you need the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is the next day Jesus is killed. They thought they won. But three days later, Jesus rises from the grave because even death is not more powerful than God. Jesus has power even over death, over anything that seeks to kill, to destroy, to harm us. Jesus is more powerful. And so what happens is the disciples, they're, they're depressed. They're dejected. Even though they know the tomb's empty, they're all out of sorts. And they're hiding in locked rooms, hiding from these religious leaders, expecting that they're going to be the ones that will be killed next. And at different times, they scatter off and, and go back to their old jobs before they were following Jesus. And each time, Jesus keeps calling them back because he appears to them. And one of the times he appears to the, to the 11 disciples and he breathes on him and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. 
And that sets into motion what happens at the beginning of the book of Acts, which is the story of what happened after Jesus died and rose from the grave. It's the story of what the disciples did after the fact and how the church began 2,000 years ago. There's this day that we call the day of Pentecost. And again, there's a festival happening in Jerusalem. The place is filled with people from all over. And the disciples are gathering There's um, with a group of followers. There's 120 of them. That's all that have remained faithful to Jesus. 120 in one room. And the Holy Spirit descends on them. And the Holy Spirit comes with power. And the Holy Spirit shakes them. And the Holy Spirit changes them at an instant. And Peter, Peter is this disciple who gets everything wrong. He gets everything wrong through the whole God, through the whole Gospels. He just screws up every single chance he gets. And Peter becomes the most powerful preacher in the whole world. The Holy Spirit comes on him and he stands up and he's preaching and he's telling people about God. And even though he's speaking Greek, the people are hearing in their own languages. They're hearing in their own tongues. And this group of people that are also there are like, come on, they're just drunk. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. They're drunk. No, 10 o'clock's too early to be drunk. This is the Holy Spirit that came. And on that day, 3,000 people come to know Jesus. 3,000 people. The church goes from 120 to 3,000 in an instant. That is what living waters does. That is what the Holy Spirit does. And so I'm going to invite our band to come up. And normally we do this discussion time, but... But we're not going to do that today because what I feel we need is we need a response. Every one of us has something that we are longing for in this day. Every one of us has something that's been deep inside of us that we've buried and we've hidden away and we've said, I don't want to deal with that pain. I don't want to deal with that longing. I don't want to deal with that sorrow. But it's time to let go of that. It's time to let go of whatever's blocking us, whatever's standing in our way, and say to God, I want you. And so Drew and Drew are going to lead us in, a, in another song. One of the songs we already did called Jesus I Come. And if this is where you're at, if this is the cry of your heart, I'm going to invite everyone to stand, but if this is where you're at, just hold out your hands. Say, God, I want to receive what you have for me. I want to receive what you have that will satisfy the longings of my soul. Because that is what this is really about. That's why we as the church exist 2,000 years later. Because we hold this, Holy Spirit. He's here with us today. And it's up to us to share with others. Because we have exactly what the world needs. And so we have to give it openly. And so I want to invite you, please stand. Drew's going to lead us. And if this is the cry of your heart, just hold out your hands and just pray. Ask God to take away whatever it is you need to let go of. Ask God to fulfill that. Whatever it is that that we try to use to fulfill that longing that we let go of, it's gone. If you choose to give that to God and to say, you take it, I don't want it anymore, it's gone. You don't have to deal with it. You know, there might still be effects, there might still be broken relationships, there might still be things changes that you have to make in your life to respond and to step forward. But know this, streams of living water, the Holy Spirit. Jesus went to the Father to send the Holy Spirit to us. And we have that. We have that free and open and accessible whenever we want. 
All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is come. All we have to do is to say, yes, Lord, that's what we want. When we're thirsty, we can always have a drink. When we're parched, there's always refreshment because this is who Jesus is. This is what he does. So if there's something that you need to do as a response to this, go and do it. If there's a part of your life where God's pointing out and you can, you can sense that you already know you need to make this change, go make that change. If this is something where you're saying that I need to be baptized as a response to what God's doing in our lives, grab one of the connect cards, check it off that you want to get baptized. We'll pull out the baptism tank anytime you want because it's something to celebrate when God is setting people free from what's holding them back and when God is calling people deeper. Whatever it is you need to do, do it. Let me pray for us. God, we need you so much. You created us to long for you and we have tried so many things to fill that void. But we know by the power of your name, by what you did for us on the cross, that all is forgiven, that all is gone because of your love and your grace and your mercy for us. So Father, I pray that you would continue to pour out your Holy Spirit on us as a community of faith, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on us and call us deeper into your love, deeper into your presence. Would we be known for pressing into who you are and responding to what you have called us to do as followers of you and as a community of faith? May we have an impact because of your Holy Spirit that goes beyond what any of us could do on our own strength. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. Folks, next week we're going to dig into another water story. We're going to be talking about the storms of life. I think, is that right? Is that what's next week? Yes, thank you, Vicky. <laughs> we all know who keeps us organized around here. Come back next week. We're going to talk about when we're in storms, when we're in moments of tragedy, when we're in moments of fear, how God is still there. So folks, have a great week. Thanks for being here. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.